Hello and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. It's been a while. The Yankees go 7-5 and five in an interesting two-week stretch. A lot of roster moves, injuries. Where are the Yankees at right now? Let's hit it. Welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. It's been a little while. My name is Liam. I'm joined as always by Jake. And we usually start with uh, some weather chit-chat. Jake, how are you feeling today on this uh, foggy, smoggy, smoky afternoon? I haven't smoked a cigarette since maybe I was 18 years old, 19 years old. Like (laughs) one time at a fraternity house in college. Um, And that was enough for me. And like this is how I imagine it feels if I was just like hot boxing my room 24 seven with cigs. Um, it's kind of crazy, man. Like I've, I lived in China for five months, six months. Never once did I experience this kind of smog in the air. Um, so it just like feels like I'm constantly inhaling, you know, firewood or a bonfire, whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, you were at the game last night and I'm sure that was a crazy experience. It's uh it's a wild thing. And if you're listening in New York City, I'm I'm sure you're well aware, but if you're tuning into us from different parts of the country or the world, uh right now due to some uh wildfires in northern Canada and in the Quebec region outside of Montreal and Ottawa, um there is smoke from those wildfires that is coming down. Uh it's leading to the worst air quality that New York has seen. Since the early 1960s, right now we have the, currently the worst air quality in all of the world, and that includes uh, Bangladesh, Doha, Beijing, you know, a lot of cities that are notorious for having poor air quality. Um, yeah, it was tough. I mean, yesterday, you know, Danny and I were planning to have a nice date night out, uh, an easy Tuesday night White Sox game, and we get off the Metro North at the stadium and like you, we were eating smoke and like we were in Taco Bell before we went in and both of us are like, do we want to do this right now? Um, and yesterday was significantly better than today. Now today it's uh, twice as bad. And um, if you're tuning in expecting a Yankees game, there's no Yankees game on today. So you're going to listen to us uh, in lieu of that game, because I think it's just really unsafe conditions. You know, we'll, we'll see where it gets tomorrow. Uh, the Yankees are due to have a double header um, and Things could happen that blow the smoke out of the air. Um, but right now, if if the conditions don't significantly improve, um, I don't see the Yankees playing either of those games tomorrow either. Um, it's just at, at a tough spot. But yeah, yesterday at the game, um, Danny and I got drunk enough, I think, where we kind of forgot about it. Uh, but we woke up today and you were kind of like, mm. you know, like we... And you could see it and you could feel it. There there was a lot of foul balls straight back yesterday. We think that the, there might have been some visibility issues for the hitters. I feel like that's one of the reasons they probably canceled it today. They used it almost like yesterday as like the feeler game, you know, just to see if they could do it again. And they probably thought better of it just because you don't want someone getting injured by a line drive or, you know, losing a ball in the air and then having two guys collide. There's a lot that can go wrong really fast. So it's ultimately the right call. I just don't know. Like, I can't forecast any of this. I don't know how to forecast any of it. But, like, how do you know necessarily when it's going to clear out is the thing? You know, like, I feel like there's a lot that comes into play there. Yeah, I've seen some people slamming the Yankees for trying to get a doubleheader in tomorrow um, because the trend of the last few games has been it's been better in the morning and then gotten significantly worse in the evening and nighttime. Um, My understanding, my limited understanding for my friends who are geologists and have some understanding of weather is that that's kind of random depending on how the wind fronts pick up so you know we could see wind that pushes everything east into the ocean or up to maine uh we could see a push south uh yeah we really don't know um but for for reference yesterday the air quality at the stadium was about 160 um air quality index and today right now it's about 260 to 280 so it's it's almost twice as bad as it was last night Dude, where I am, it's 337. Like, yeah, there you go. So literally live, over twice as bad. I live a mile away from Yankee Stadium. So it's it's probably around the same thing over there. I yeah. don't see it improving drastically in the next three hours to have any kind of chance of playing baseball. And um, at that mezzanine level at Yankee Stadium, like in the press box and where I was sitting, like 
you could see it right in front of us. Like my friend came down from the 300 level to say hi. And he said, whoa, it doesn't look like that up here. We're like above it. It's like it's sitting really with the people and on the field. And I, th I think it's really prevalent with the ball. Um, So definitely not in the condition visibility wise when you're playing with a hard 100 to 120 mile an hour projectile being hit, let alone um the long conditions and the potential long term effects of having strenuous doing strenuous activity in this kind of condition. Which makes things even more interesting because it kind of leads into some of the housekeeping stuff that we got. Um, despite the Yankees not playing today, there was a sim game on the field and Carlos Rodon did throw on the mound, um, which in itself is, I mean, really encouraging, obviously, because you want to see him throw against live batters and all that. That's really nice to see. But at the same time, it's like you don't want him either getting a ball coming straight back to him that he misses and, you know, gets hit by having any lung issues or like anything along those lines. So it is risky to have him do that. But I guess we should all be encouraged by it at the same time. I guess it's better than him just trying to throw underground, doing the same thing he's done for the last, whatever, two weeks, three weeks at this point. So it's really refreshing to see him fully ramped up. But at the same time, like <laughs> we need him fully healthy. And that means his lungs included as well. Yeah, it was a very strange situation. Um, Actually, June, I heard the June asked Aaron directly, Aaron Boone directly, you know, why the choice to have Carlos Rodon throw in the presser. And Boom's kind of like, oh, well, I mean, he wanted to and it felt okay. And then I think MLB was kind of behind the ball with making the decision to cancel the game and whatnot. Like, there's a lot going on because, like you said, Rodon's been pitching on hard flat ground or not flat ground, but on hard turf and plastic mounds for a while. So he's probably like, hey, I'm ready to throw today. He only threw 20 pitches, you know, so it, it's not going to be very strenuous. Um, I guess all's well that ends well because, um, even if he was fighting some breathing issues, uh, 20 pitches is a really quick um, outing, especially for a guy who's been a starting pitcher for his whole life. So uh, he might not have been fighting it too much. Um, so I think if he were throwing more 40 to 50 pitches, you'd have to make a decision on, you know, is him fighting his lungs going to impact him overcompensating with his arm or something if he doesn't have a grip? Um, all of the results are like that that went swimmingly. Uh, there's no... He felt no tweaks or, and given the news about Rodon in recent weeks, that's as good of a result as you can ask for. Uh, just a really weird day where like we get a Rodon sim update at Yankee Stadium. The Yankees close, the Yankees cancel the game or MLB cancels the game 10 minutes after the Yankees were scheduled to open the gates. Like very, very strange situation. And we're coming to you with a variety of, of factors over the last two weeks with a lot of injuries that we have to deal with, a lot of returns. It's uh, it's all going on right now. We have a cornucopium of just baseball information at this point that we like haven't fully gotten into yet. So should we just get into the most recent, I guess, IL stints, and then we'll work our way through earlier, like last week as well, just so yeah, that walk, way we can cover all the bases. Yeah, walk us through the roster, who's here and who's not, and we'll we'll talk about some of what that means and where that came from later. All right, so we'll start with like the heavy hitter just because this came out, I believe, last night after the game. Aaron Judge is officially going to the IL after making an, an outstanding play in the uh, outfield in Dodger Stadium. Um, really unfortunate. P I saw people kind of getting annoyed, like, how, how are the Yankees not coming out quickly with this information? It's just a toe, and it's like, if you've never had a toe injury, like especially a big toe injury and you play sports every day, you haven't fully understood the like the impact it has on your entire body and the way that you can like plant your feet and use your momentum. And we saw Luke Voigt play with foot in like a foot injury all season in 2020 and he has not been the same since. Mm -hmm. So it turns out there's a sprained ligament in there. He's got a bruised toe as well, which ultimately yeah, it's better than a break, but at the same time like depending on the severity of the sprain that could be extended on the IL. So we're just hoping the best for that. But in his place, he's being placed on the 10 day injured list um, retroactive to June 4th. So those days will be included for the 10 day stint. Um, and then they, this was a little bit of a surprise. They brought up Billy McKinney and signed him to a major league contract. Uh, so he will be effectively replacing judge at this point. And also on the same day, they also, which is today, they uh, added Ryan Weber to the 60-day list. So that's also retroactive as well, but it sounds like he has UCL inflammation or at least elbow inflammation. So that's that could potentially be a precursor to Tommy John. 
um, if you want to look at it in a negative light and also realistic light. So that's what we have going on immediately today. Yeah, and then in the past few days uh, before that, we had Stanton and Donaldson both come back. Uh, the corresponding move was for Oswaldo to go down, but then Oswaldo immediately came back up due to the Bader injury that happened in the Seattle series. So now we're out of center fielder, we're out of right fielder. Um, Billy McKinney has been hot in the minor leagues that he came up uh, in this two week period. Domingo came back from suspension. Uh, Randy Vasquez had a, a spot start. Vasquez was due to start today. He's going to be the 27th man for tomorrow, um, given that Nestor has gone to the IL as well. So a lot of stuff is happening. Um, where, who do you want to talk about first? I think we got to talk about Judge because I think he's the one who impacts the team the most. Um, yeah, it it's scary not knowing what exactly the timeline is going to look like because obviously the best case scenario he's back within two weeks and all things return to normal kind of the same way they did the first time he went on the IL. But if this does become a lingering, you know, two, three, four week situation then I think that's when the Yankees need to seriously consider bringing in a more permanent long-term solution for the outfield. I mean, you you got to also hope that Harrison Bader is going to make his way back soon. And it does sound like he's improving. He did agility drills on the field today. So that's definitely a step in the right direction, quite literally a step in the right direction. But at the same time, you just can't bank on him at this point to stay fully healthy once he is back. It just seems like a different injury every time he's out. And I do want to also get to one thing with Judge real quick. This isn't a situation of being injury prone. This is a kind of almost a freak injury. Like all of his injuries have been freak injuries throughout the years for the most part. They're not Stantonian injuries where they're more like soft tissue and just like reoccurring. Um, so I think that the Dodgers are even like, like addressing the situation with their fence. But yeah, this is going to have a an implication on this team for at least the next 10 days, 10 to 14 realistically. Um, and we got to hope that Billy McKinney is just one of those guys that like you ride the hot hand with the same way that Jake Bowers did the same way that Greg Allen kind of contributed early on as well. When he came up, that's another guy that hit the IL since the last time we talked. Yep. Um, and he was only here for what, like a week and a half, if that. So it just, it feels like every time they try to bring in a short-term solution for the outfield, someone gets like scorched off and, that's a sign to me that they need to start actually thinking what's a more permanent solution there. Yeah. The judge injury does really concern me. It, it's great that it's not a break. Um, Bart Scott, the former Jets linebacker uh, on his radio, Barton on his radio show, Barton Hahn with Alan Hahn today um, spoke about what a ligament injury in the toe means. And Bart Scott said that that was the injury ultimately that took him out of his career and the reason that it did not was the injury itself, but was the fact that he played through it without it being fully healed. And that yeah. took away his body felt like it could give the same power. It could give the same speed, but him losing that, just that toe stability, it, it lost. Um, it took away from his ability to make significant force plays, which is, which would alter Aaron judge's swing, you know, which would obviously alter you as a tackler and a linebacker much more, you would think. Um, so, Bart said that he thinks that Judge could be out for at least a month and there's a chance that they 60-day IL him because when you're looking at a guy with a nine-year contract, if you sacrifice Judge's toe and you get ligament damage for the next month or two, that's going to alter how his toe functions and supports his body, his 280 pounds, which is probably closer to 300 pounds for the rest of his life. And for the Yankees, more importantly, the rest of his nine-year contract. Um, and as I think it's his right toe, correct? No, or is it is his right toe? Or is it... I think it's his right. I'm not positive on that though. Either way, it's like not a good either way on his weight transfer. Like it's... Planting or landing, you yeah. know. So, so it, it is significant to me. Um, and like you said, it is a freak injury. And the problem with Judge is that him being much bigger and athletic, these freak injuries are more likely to have worse effect, you know. Harrison Bader sliding and running full speed into a wall is going to have a lot less just straight up force impact than Aaron Judge would. You know, Dodger Stadium was built before people like Aaron Judge played baseball. You know, like Dodger Stadium is a great ballpark. Honestly, the facilities are pretty good, but it is strangely built on a chain link 
fence that's built directly on top of a concrete foundation, whereas other stadiums have some sort of padding that come out in front of the concrete foundation or that concrete when you open up the bullpen wall opens up with it like what it has at the modern Yankee Stadium. So it was just a crazy freak accident for Judge to run full speed making a catch hit into a fence that would typically bounce back for the, that fence to break open so that way his weight goes back and then he's now exposed to this concrete foundation at the bottom of the outfield wall. It's such a freak event, but you add it on to the freak event of him diving awkwardly into third base. Um, you add him for the freak event of him diving in right field. It's not him being injury prone, but it, it, it is him needing to be superlative for the Yankees to compete very well and him being that athletic at that size um, that I think we will see for, for time to come and the Yankees needing to rely on him. Yep. And I mean, if it comes down to him playing what 110 to 115 games this season, rather than 145 or 140 ish, and he's still able to play consistently every year, you know, over 85% of the games throughout the next seven years or so. I'll take that any day over him trying to tough it out the rest of this season, never returning the form and then playing 80 to hundred games for the rest of his career. Yeah. Any day of the week. So as unfortunate as it, as it is, and it's like devastating, obviously and detrimental to the foundation of this team, both defensively and offensively, it's the correct move to make putting him on there. Yeah. And um, it's really unfortunate because Harrison Bader, who's our center fielder, also went down. Greg Allen, our backup center fielder, and Aaron Judge, our backup backup center fielder, are all down. Yesterday, the Yankees played an outfield of Jake Bowers in left field, who's a first baseman, uh, playing corner outfield, below average level right now. Um, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, whose first game in center field was this year. He is an infield and utility piece in center field. And Willie Calhoun, who's a DH because you have to bat Giancarlo Stanton, but you also have to play three outfielders and your options on the bench, you know, of course this comes right after we part ways with Aaron Hicks, who's the one possible true outfielder of this mix. Um, Your other option is Oswaldo Cabrera, who also isn't an outfielder by trade, but he's probably the best defensive outfielder that the Yankees have left. Um, So it's a really tough spot. Do you want to talk about the, the Bader injury? Yeah, I mean, he was rolling um, when it was back in the Seattle series. That was, what, game two, I want to say. Um, he went into a little bit of a slide right before he started getting hot again. And then it seemed like in, he was, you know, just being Harrison Bader. He did have that one funky throw in that game in San Diego or versus San Diego that just was way offline. Like, I think he airmailed it past uh, Higgy. And then Higgy airmailed it over a third base. Um, but it was just, I don't know. He did it. He injured himself on a play that you expect out of Harrison Bader, which is busting his ass down the line. That's exactly what you want to see out of him. But the second he pulled up, I think everyone collectively gasped and was like, oh, no. Because you can just tell like the look on his face. He was cringing a little bit. And he pulled something. And the good news is it's supposed to supposedly at least a minor or like a mild strain of his hamstring. Um, was it his hamstring, right? Yeah, it looked like his hamstring. Yeah. So in that case, it sounds like he has been improving steadily every day since that point, but hamstrings can be very tricky as well. Um, but not having him out there is like, that is your focal point of the entire outfield. Essentially. He's the operator, the commander who runs that thing, especially when he's in center field. Um, you're lacking two leaders essentially right now in the outfield and that's judge and Bader and not having those two guys out there at the same time really hurts. Um, it does sound like, like I said before, he's started ramping up his agility drills. He's doing them today. Um, so hopefully you see him resuming baseball activities by next week, but at the same time, like you can't fully bank on him being back within the next week or so you can still potentially see a few more days after that, but we need him sooner than later for sure. What do you think of the Nestor move? Necessary, fully necessary. Um, even if it is like a phantom IL thing and he, it sounds like he's having issues rebounding from each start. I think that's what he said. He's been sore in his shoulder, just like after every time he throws 
uh, for a few days. So he's not just feeling like he'll be able to get back into his recovery mode and then get into plyo care and all that stuff. So he's uh, kind of setting himself up to uh, recalibrate, if you want to put it that way, and like maybe figure some things out while also figuring out why he's having issues recovering. Um, it's ultimately the right decision. It just hurts because there's still so much uncertainty with this rotation, especially after seeing Sevy's uh, last outing against the Dodgers. So it it's uh, hopefully he can get this sorted out within the 10 day period. Yeah, I'm really concerned about all these injuries. I mean, it's awesome to see that Giancarlo Stanton and Josh Donaldson came back right away. Um, I mean, they both banged in in the L.A. series. Donaldson especially seems, uh, I mean, he was hitting in the minors, like significant long shot home runs, consistent bat to ball. Um, it seems like he's really in a groove. And I think that brings us to the non-injury, potential injury with DJ LeMahieu. Because yeah. we were talking before the season, part of the reason why we thought that Glaber Torres was worthy to part ways with, or we were eager about Josh Donaldson going was because you could pencil in DJ being your starter at second or at third. Um, and DJ would be the third baseman, a better option over Donaldson. And I think he he's put together decent stretches this year, but the last two weeks have been really rough for DJ. It's very perplexing looking at his saber metrics and his uh, peripherals, just because some of them look really good. Like his, uh, I think his average exit velocity and top average uh, exit or top exit below on the season are actually higher than previous seasons. The problem is he's striking out like 28%. Um, and last year he was around like 14%. He's never really eclipsed 15 to 16 throughout his career. Um, he's always been elite when it comes to not striking out on pitches. He's got great bats to ball. That's his like biggest skill and his biggest asset. Um, and that's what kind of made him special in this lineup, right? Is he was able to come over and hit for contact. And then he also kind of figured out the whole power thing when he first came here. Now it's looking like he's lost his extra base hit pop. Um, he's not hitting the ball nearly as frequently. He's whiffing a lot. He's striking out. He's expanding the zone. So it's not just a matter of like, you can't chalk it solely up to injuries where it's like, oh, it's just got to be the foot. You know, he's not getting his weight behind the ball. He's not barreling up balls that are in the zone because he is swinging at balls in the zone. No, it's like he's expanding the zone on top of not barreling balls that are in the zone. So that's, those are two separate things going on. And, um, the defense has been good, but it's not justifiable enough to like start him over Donaldson at this point, in my opinion, because Donaldson has immediately provided more impact in the few games that he's been here. Like we have to keep in mind to be homered in opening day. So we really like when he's been on the field this season, Donaldson has not let up at all. Um, he did start off, I think, a little bit slow after opening day. He had a few days stretch before his injury where he was like slumping a little bit. But that's also so early in the season that you can't really chalk that up to anything other than just trying to find your footing. And the fact that he was injured made sense as well. Um, but the point being Donaldson is right now currently a more impactful player than DJ LeMahieu. And while people hate Donaldson's contract, DJ's contract's looking way worse every season if he continues to play at this level. And I really hope he doesn't because he's a fantastic player and he's been a bit like he's one of the like better Yankees that's been here for a longer stretch of time. And the fact that he's in this kind of downward spiral right now, you really hope that he can turn it around, but it's also he's hamstringing this team more than anyone else. Yeah. DJ in his last 15 games, um, 2.6% walk percentage, 29% strikeout percentage. His walk to strikeout ratio is one to 10. Um, his, and that's to go along with a batting average of 190, which is well, well below dj's benchmark but dj's value is that he he gets on and he hits singles he's not walking he's not hitting his on base is 211 so not only is he hitting 190 but his on base percentage is only 20 points higher um compare that to someone like anthony volpe who is hitting in the last two weeks as well 130 really low but he's getting on base at a 190 rate so it's 70 percent more which is still terrible still awful really bad. Yeah. but he but he, he has that difference in between um and DJ slugging is kind of up. I mean, his OPS is five sixty. Um, and it's it's very over the last few weeks. This is cutting out his splits. Um, it's interesting for DJ because in the past 
you would go to um you know you would go to statcast and look at his numbers and you would see okay the power is not there the max exit velo the average exit velo is not there even though the barrel like he's making contact the same amount um and you could tell that it was something physical dj is making contact less and when he makes contact it's the same he's hitting it just as hard i know he was hurt a bit by a few superb plays um, over this last two game series, I mean, he had a ball that got robbed in the Orioles series and in the Padres series. Um, a few nice diving plays. It could be people shifting smarter on DJ, and they were over shifting before, and now that they don't have to shift him, he's hitting into it. Um, but the batted ball and like the strength stats seem to be there. It like it seems to just be that he's off. He's just not making contact as much anymore, um, and that's really concerning to me. Yeah, because it's like you have to wonder, is that due to age catching up to him? Is it due to all the prior injuries catching up to his body and just making him generally a little bit slower? Like these are the answers the Yankees essentially need to get to the bottom of or else we're going to constantly be running out a player who's the shell of himself, who is holding up a roster spot. That's a very important one because he is the super utility guy of the infield right now. And you have Oswald Peraza sitting in AAA tearing the cover off the ball. I think he's got like 10 homers in like 14 days or 15 days or something like that. It's an insane number. Um, and it's not justifiable for him to be sitting in AAA when he's clearly above that level of play at this point in his career. And he's like known to provide elite defense at shortstop. He's looked pretty good from what I remember at second base and third base in spring training as well. Um, and yes, Volpe absolutely won the job out of camp. So I'm not going to say that Volpe should have been the one sent down and Peraza should have been the one up or any of that. That's a whole different conversation. But the fact of the matter is DJ is the one who plays all of these different positions that impact Volpe, Peraza, Torres. All of these guys play those positions primarily as well. And now it feels like Peraza is getting the short end of that stick. So what happens with DJ? Does he see a uh, phantom IL stint so that way you can get a hot hand like Peraza up? and then actually give him a legitimate shot. The Yankees haven't shown any willingness to sh like to give Peraza any kind of run. Even when he was on the roster last year, he was still being benched, you know, like 40% of the time. So they have to prove that they actually want to have him up and playing, even though he probably deserves it. And you mentioned Peraza. Uh, I think that rolls us back into a very interesting point um, of what's happened over this past few weeks. I mean, the Yankees have seemingly mashed uh put up like some good offensive stats in a lot of games shut down occasionally here um you know but looking at the numbers cutting um for these last two weeks that we're covering we're not gonna so much get into game or series recaps because there's so many games that the yankees paid played 13 games since we last had a podcast um but we're looking at only a few guys who were above average um WRC plus and OPS plus, and those guys were way above average. That's Judge at a 213. We already talked about that issue, which is he's at an otherworldly rate so far. And it's crazy because he had an even first two months from his first two months last year. Now he's out indefinitely. We had Jake Bowers, who seems to be playing out of his mind. Willie Calhoun, 125 OPS plus. Past that, the only Yankees who have an above 100 OPS plus are Josh Donaldson and Giancarlo Stanton, who are in a four-game. And, I mean, both of them had a day off, so they only had 12 plate appearances uh, yeah. and have played three games. Donaldson has a 275 WRC+, and Stanton has a 112. You look at all these numbers being down, and one that stands out is there's a 13 WRC+, and a negative 5 um, WRA. Uh, that's coming from Anthony Volpe. Uh, Anthony oh. Volpe in the last two weeks is batting 122 with a 163 on base, um, a 146 isolated power, and 431 OPS, uh, which are, they're abysmal. They, they are really, really bad numbers. But I look at some of these game recaps that I have in the notes. I'm looking at a Volpe walk-off sack fly. I'm looking at two significant Volpe home runs in the Mariner series, in the Dodgers series, in which his swing looked great, but his strikeouts are incredible. Anthony Volpe is striking out more than one out of every three plate appearances. 
Um, and even in the modern age of baseball, that is just not a sustainable level to be at. And it's not a major league level. And we have a top prospect, Oswald Peraza, behind him who is putting up these numbers. And I don't think I'm calling for Volpe's job. I don't think I'm calling for Anthony Volpe to not be the shortstop anymore because this is the risk that you run with calling up guys who have had limited minor league experience and you're going on potential is that he, Volpe is developing in live time. By this development, the Yankees have put together a good stretch, but now we're looking at more bleak times coming up. What have you seen from Volpe? What do you think of his play recently? First of all, his home run swing when he does connect with the ball is beautiful. <laughs> it's one of the best home run swings I've seen, and his power for his size is unreal. I mean, he hits balls 420 to 460 feet when he does connect with the ball. The problem is he's not connecting off enough to like fully justify it. Um, but I do agree that he should ultimately, I think it's kind of too late to send him down almost because they did promise him like, we're going to stick through with you thick or thin. So that means we're going to let you develop and that let you struggle if you need to struggle. Um, it's a matter of just like sorting those issues out, those little kinks. And the kinks that I'm seeing right now is he's, there's two things. It's pretty much he, his biggest kryptonite is the pitch up and in. He's not able to catch up to the fastball up and in at all. Um, so he keeps on chasing it. And if you're chasing that pitch, you're not going to make contact with it, with the trajectory of his swing, essentially. So if he can learn how to either lay off of it or not even change his swing, but have an, a B swing, the same way that Glaber Torres had a B swing where he like not even chokes up, but he has a little toe tap. And rather than trying to snap the barrel, he just kind of flips his, uh, his wrist a little bit and just gets bat to ball. And if he can learn how to induce that, and add that to his arsenal, then you're looking at a significantly different player because with his speed, he will be getting a lot more, you know, like infield hits. And then also just like little slap singles the other way. Almost like that Derek Jeter style of hitting. I think that the power that he has is like, you have to acknowledge it. It's so good. But at the same time, if you're only connecting with the ball, very small percentage of the time, it's not doing you much good in the long run. Uh, so you, you need to find ways to be sustainable with your offense throughout the year. And he has too many tools to be struggling this hard. And on another note, just with his strikeout rates, the way they are at this moment, you got to believe that Estevan Florial is probably like punching the air right now, because that's the main reason the Yankees haven't used him that much in the last few seasons. Um, he has a teeny little sample size within like major league ball play. I think it's like maybe 40 games or like even less than that. I don't, I'm not really sure on the numbers of uh, what exactly he's played with the Yankees, but it seems like they have a willing or unwillingness to like bring him up for that exact reason. He strikes out around 30, 35% of the time. Guess what? Volpe is close to that number right now. So show me the justification there. That's like the biggest issue I have with that entire situation. Ultimately, I do want to see Volpe develop at this level still, but like I said, he needs to figure out how he's going to make adjustments to that pitch up and in. I think once he figures that out, he'll be more comfortable taking some sliders low and away, which is also another weaker point of his. He seems to roll over those or just hit them softly on the ground to, uh, you know, shortstop or second base. Um, but yeah, I think that fastball up and in is his biggest place where he needs to make adjustments sooner rather than later. Estevan Florial right now uh, in 41 games in Scranton, 12 homers, 30 RBI, a 317 batting average, a 1.04 OPS. Um, Oswald Peraza behind him, 322 batting average, 1.02. Uh, Andre Shaparo is even putting up an 800 OPS. Billy McKinney, who's coming up now, 274, 900 OPS. Um, yeah, I mean... Volpe is not giving Major League shortstop production, and it doesn't help that in these series, notably in the Orioles and in the Padres series, Volpe made a few misplays on the field where he's supposed to be a defensive plus. Um, and yesterday he stole another base, and I, I turned to my girlfriend who loves Anthony Volpe because he is electric to watch. Like He's an awesome athlete, and Volpe has homered in more than half of the games I've been to at Yankees games this year, so that's helped. Um, that he homers more than Judge does when I bring my girlfriend. Uh, he got on base once and he stole second. And he's 15 for 15, I think, now in stolen bases. But he's getting on 
at a 16% clip. And that is just like unacceptable at a, at a major league level. So it's really bittersweet. You know, a lot of stuff really good happened within this time that we were gone. The Yankees looked like a really solid team, um, but it was on the back of Aaron Judge. It was on the back of some of some really good relief pitching performances. And now with injuries gone, I think it's going to highlight some of the underlying not so good things that were happening um, through with the Yankees because the these two week splits uh, are not fun to look at. Yeah. And um, the crazy thing with his numbers right now is I've seen a few 162 game paces with him thrown around. He's still on base for like 25 homers and like 35 stolen bases, which is the frustrating part of all of this. Like if he puts it together, you're looking at an Alfonso Soriano like season. Um, or more like a Rugnet or Dor season. <laughs> Honestly. Legend. Yeah. I'll take that any day of the week. Um, but it, it's just, it's frustrating in that sense because he is so close yet so far in the same way. And what's saving him a little bit is the fact that the higher paid shortstops in the game, like Trey Turner and then Carlos Correa are not performing at an elite level right now. And their numbers are pretty much on par with his. So that's kind of bringing the standard for shortstops down a little bit. If you're looking at the league wide scale, but at the same time, you can't bank on that much longer because those guys are elite players and they've proven throughout their like their careers that they come through in the biggest moments. And whatever their slumps are due to, like I'm sure they'll turn it around unless Correa is really having issues with that ankle. That's a whole different conversation as well. Um, but the, the facts of the matter is you've got Peraza sitting in AAA probably with his hands up in the air. Like, when am I going to get my opportunity? Am I going to get an opportunity here? You know, like there has to be some kind of clarity coming very soon with the sheer amount of injuries that the Yankees have had in the last few, like the entire season, really. And I think some players that have been doing impressive patchwork for the Yankees that have gotten us to a pretty solid run and have been propelling us higher in the division race um, are a few guys you wouldn't expect. And one of them um, I want to start with is IKF. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa Kiner is on an unreal redemption arc amongst Yankees fans. Um, he had a walk-off hit in the series in this stretch. He had three home runs in this stretch. He had a triple. He had a few doubles. Um, a bunch of RBIs put together. I mean, his WRC plus is only 97 because he's IKF and he doesn't have a lot of power. But IKF in this two-week stretch scored six runs, had 11 RBI, leading the Yankees more than Aaron Judge. Um, it's it's really unreal. 12 hits, um, a 300 batting average. It, it's been really cool to see, and he's been playing solid defense all across um, all across the field. What do you think of IKF's new role with the Yankees and his recent production? I mean, I love him. Um, he's the best, greatest of all time. I love how he's fully embraced center field and just playing the outfield in general. He doesn't look all that graceful when he makes plays out there, but he makes them. Um, he's been reliable. He doesn't have the best arm in the world, but he knows how to get to spots well enough to make more difficult plays. And even just like standard plays that have like an 85% cash probability where you like even the eye test tells you mm, it looks a little bit harder than that. He still manages to pull away with the ball at the end of the day. Um, whereas like Jake Bowers, for example, we'll get to him later because he has contributed a lot offensively, but Bowers looks very clunky out there whereas IKF does not at all. He actually looks like he's gained a newfound sense of confidence while moving to the outfield. And that also displays really well over at the plate as well. And to get back to your point with the WRC plus, you said it was like 97. Yep. Got to keep in mind. It was like 45 or 52 months ago. Yep. So he's been climbing with that, uh, significantly. I think that if he didn't have such a, a slow start, you're looking at a guy that's maybe like a 105 to 110 at this point. And the power has gone up significant, uh, significantly. And apparently like that's one of the ideologies that the Yankees have worked with him this year. Um, he wanted to kind of still be a slap hitter that just hits the ball in the gaps here and there. And, you know, like tries to focus on contact first and the Yankees really ingrained with him. Hey, like that's cool but you have enough tools to at least hit for a little bit more pop. So we want you to try to like work on launching the ball a little bit better. And he was hesitant to do it, but ultimately stuck with it. And he's like paying dividends with it right now. Cause you can kind of see him getting into that low decoils, his hips a lot more than he used to. 
Um, he starts his load earlier, so he has no issues catching up to good velocity. Um, and he's just on everything. Like he's one of those guys with his bat to ball skills, plus the new added ideology of swinging for power and just swinging the bat hard. He's unlocking a new level of IKF essentially. And he is the utility player that we've always kind of needed. And he's also fulfilling what Waldo couldn't fulfill at the beginning of the season. And that's very important at this rate. He's probably the most valuable player that's on the field right now for the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, he is one of those formidable bats in the Yankees lineup. Um, and it's awesome that, I mean, Rizzo has been being Rizzo. I mean, he had a, a bit of a downstretch, but he was still productive if you're looking at the OPS side, um, even though the batting average was right around 200. Um, but wasn't getting a lot of runs in. Uh, but now you have Stan Donaldson and Jake Bowers have really been doing the damage behind Aaron Judge. And yeah, he is a formidable bat in the lineup now. He's a guy that when he comes up sixth, seventh, uh, I mean, he had two home, home runs in Dodger Stadium. Uh, so it, it is someone who you really fear, and he is one of the feature hitters of our lineup. Like he's going to be on this roster indefinitely because he's been proving it. Um, and another guy who's had a really interesting run of recent uh, is Willie Calhoun, because Willie Calhoun seems like he's a power guy, um, but he hasn't really been a power guy. But his big thing, Willie Calhoun, over the last 16 games, he has a below three strikeout percentage. It's crazy. Like he just <laughs> makes contact, and he's spraying the ball all over. Uh, Willie Calhoun has nine hits in his 31 at-bats. That's good for a 300 batting average. Five of them are singles, four doubles, no homers, Um, but that's not his thing. Just spraying hits around the field. Um, and, and you think of a guy with his kind of frame, even though he's shorter, is going to give you a bunch of pop. But, you know, he's he's like a, a contact Prince Fielder kind of player. I was going to say we have one of those guys in the league right now. That's Luis Arise. Yep. He is the he's poor man's Luis Arise right now. And like if you can get that player on his contract and he a few years ago was the statistically worst player in the league, I believe. They've retooled his swing really well to the point where it almost feels like him and Jake Bowers have been successful reclam- reclamation projects up until this point. And it's really frustrating to see the Yankees not have that star outfielder. But at the same time, you can't fully get on them right now because these guys are producing. Um, and I think it was probably looking like he was a potential DFA um, option about five weeks ago, four weeks ago, six weeks ago, whatever that may have been. And once Boone went out and kind of defended him, saying this is a guy who has potential to really hit well for us, he's gone out and done it. So there's really no negatives to take away from his play right now other than he's just not that much of an outfielder. But in terms of being a a bat, like I'll take that contact bat any day when it comes to this lineup that's prone to the strikeouts, having guys like Volpe and DJ in there right now. You know, so like he balances out things really well and they have – another lefty option that they can kind of rely on to at least get the ball in play and hit uh, situationally. Uh, amongst the Yankees with at least 20 plate appearances in the last three weeks, um, Aaron Judge is first in WRC plus second is Jake Bowers. Third is Willie Calhoun. Fourth is IKF. Uh, Willie Calhoun, like you said, I think they really have retooled his swing. Um, because it looks like his barrel just lingers in the zone for a really long time. Uh, when I remember seeing Willie Calhoun in Texas, he would hit a few all over, but there were times where pitchers would just throw pitches with a lot of movement, low and in, uh, backdoor sliders that would just seem to miss his bat path, that he would just end up rolling over or weak ground balls to short or to first um, or striking out a lot higher. And right now, I think he's getting solid contact through the zone, He's not even looking to be a gap-to-gap doubles guy. I think he'll get that when he gets a hold of one, but because he just keeps the barrel strong through the zone for a really long time, whenever it meets the barrel, it's going to be a hard-hit ball that finds grass. Um, and he's finding holes. He's he's getting over um, middle infielders' heads. Uh, it's been impressive, but I think it, it begs the problem of, you know, now with Stanton coming back off of an injury, Willie Calhoun not being a great projectable outfielder, you know, how often do you want to run with a Calhoun out in right field? How When is Stan going to be healthy enough that the Yankees feel to put him in the outfield? Because I think those guys are going to have to rotate. 
Um, and if you're looking at Stanton and Calhoun being two of your best four hitters in the lineup, um, one of them is going to have to DH and you're going to have to figure out um, what does that mean for DJ? What does that mean for Donaldson? And what does that mean for your defensive outfield? Because right now it seems very bleak because nobody is an outfielder by trade, except for Calhoun, who's the worst outfielder of the options. It's it's such a weird situation to be in because you can't, like I said, you can't be mad because they're all producing at the same time. But at the same time, they all play the same positions. They have very similar profiles. And Stan not being able to play the outfield kind of helps those guys get more reps. But at the same time, you really need Stan to be able to play the outfield because you're paying him a lot of money. And he's also one of the tr- like true proven kind of outfielder guys that they have. Although at this point in his career, he's not quite as uh, limber as he used to be, and he doesn't move quite as well. He still has a pretty good arm, but other than that, he's really not a threat in the outfield. Um, so it's it's a weird situation. Like I, I really don't know where to go with it. I feel like you have to eventually, and it sucks to say it, you either have to DFA someone or you have to trade someone. Um, it's just kind of inevitable at this point. And we can also lead into the uh, Glaber Torres situation with that point because it just makes things a lot harder. Glaber has probably been what top four most productive players on the team so far this season. Mm-hmm. He's uh, changed up his uh, approach to the plate, where he's pretty much striking out as much as he walks, if not more walks than strikeouts. Which, which is, is such first. a drastic change for Glaber. It's like he's almost fully adapted over his two strike approach that he's had in previous seasons while still doing the leg kick and all that. I don't, I'm not really sure what exactly he's changed in his swing. It does look like he's got a lot more balance and he's staying back on his leg a little bit longer. So he is just, he's more leveraged right now. I don't know how to fully explain it, but he's being selective. He's not swinging at balls. So he's staying within the zone and he's just, he's swinging like a veteran and he's only 26 years old. And that's really impressive. And it kind of has silenced all the conversations that we've had about having to like potentially trade him. And I mean, the fact of the matter, he probably would have the most value out of anyone if you were to trade someone. So I wouldn't still be shocked if they did it. It seems like if they were to trade him, you're more likely to see that at the end of the year because they simply can't stay afloat if you're taking him out of this lineup right now, unless you're bringing in like two other really good bats. Um, But I don't know. There's just a really weird pileup kind of all throughout the Yankees major league system at the moment. And that also trickles down to the mi- the minors and the triple A, double A, single A, like guys are eventually going to have to be moved up or traded. So the next month is going to be very telling. Yeah, I agree. And I think I want to pivot into some of the pitching conversations because we've been going deep on hitter vibes and stats um, I'm going to give a quick rundown to remind us of the starting pitchers and kind of what happened over the past few few yeah. weeks. Um, looking at the Orioles series, we had a cold day where he was kind of roughed up early, gave up uh, gave up a few runs. Yankees pull it out 6-5 on a walk-off. Um, next day, Nestor gets shelled, and a lot of it, he has five really solid innings, and then he all of a sudden he gives up four late in the sixth, and then Abreu doesn't help piggybacking him coming in there. Um, another one of those instances of him losing it the third time through or late in the game after 70 pitchers or so. Uh, then the third game, uh, Kyle Gibson shuts down the Yankees. Clark Schmidt looks really good. He only gives up two earned, I think, in over six innings um, and just got beat by, uh, by Gibson. Uh, then this was a Randy Vasquez start before Domingo came back. Um, uh, Tatis takes him deep. He's just a minor league pitcher. Vasquez didn't look great. I mean, I don't, um, I don't know what you think from from Vasquez's start. We'll get to that later. Um, second game, Asevi had a second great start, uh, piggybacking his Cincinnati start. The Yankees end up pulling out a three two win. He goes six strong, gives up one earned. Um, the next day, I forget who pitches, but this was the crazy game. Uh, was this another? Was this Nestor again, or was this Cole this, again? The ten, oh, the ten seven was Cole. Yeah, yeah, that was another rough start for Cole. So he gives up three early, and then he goes through the sixth, um, and then come into the seventh inning. I think he gives up a few base runners, and then those end up scoring. So I think he gives up another like five earned, uh, in that time. That was when the Yankees put up a seven spot in the third inning, so they were up big. So they just let Cole run with the game. Um, but another rough outing in a rough month for Garrett Cole after winning AL Pitcher of the Month. Um, 
I'll keep going because I think we when we talk about starters, we'll talk in holistic a few starts in a row. Um 10-4 game. That was a Nestor start where Nestor looked a bit better. I don't know. Nestor was in the 10-2 game. He looked a bit better. That was actually a really good start by Nestor. Clark had another um awesome performance where he goes shut out with Kirby. Um and Kirby was a bit more dominant going deeper into the game. Clark, I think, goes uh over six innings. Uh, doesn't give up a run. And then we get into the Dodgers series where Seve lost the game in the first inning. Uh, there were rumors about him having a tip. So he had two really, really good outings and then one terrible outing um, in LA. And we'll see what that turns into because a tip could mean that it's not something mechanical. My fear was that his velo was down. Uh, he was sitting in the middle of the plate. We'll talk about that in a second. Um Cole was really good, kind of a comeback against the Dodgers on Saturday. Uh, I think he gives up two runs in six innings, and then Domingo had a nice outing on Sunday night um, against the Dodgers, only giving up one run across his six, a home run to J.D. Martinez. He looked really good. And then Clark Schmidt again last night looked awesome. Uh, You know, he he gives up three runs, um, but his stuff was really good. He was striking out a lot of guys. Three runs in six innings was his worst start of this whole stretch. Um, a lot of that is happening with our different starting pitching. Uh, what conversation interests you the most? I think we can start with Clark because just because it's the most recent one. Um, he's the most recent guy to go. We have to hand it to him. He's looked a lot better of late. Just the stuff has ticked up a little bit. Um, I didn't get to watch all of the game against the Mariners. However, I like turned my phone on because I was playing midweek. So I turned my phone on to, you know, yes, on the drive back home at like 1130. And I'm pretty much catching his last full inning, which is the fifth or like the last out of that inning. And it was him striking out J-Rod and his stuff looked sharp. Like he threw probably one of the like sharpest sliders that I've seen him throw in a long time. Um, So that immediately just raised my eyebrows and I was like, okay, he's got he's got a good chance to maybe secure a five spot now in the rotation once Rodon is healthy, like there's a good possibility that he'll at least stick around for a little bit or be like a swing man. Um, he's really settling into being a starter. So that's kind of putting a lot of the talks about him not really panning out as a starter and definitely being more of a relief arm to rest. So it is really encouraging to see that out of him. Um, the whole Sevy thing is very curious to me. I think we're kind of in the same boat there. I, although I will say like, the velocity is definitely something to watch out for because I think his first two starts, he was sitting around 97 to 98 and then he was down to 95 yeah. um, in his last start, which and is not executing, not executing, leaving pitches right over the, the center of the plate flat. He caught as many barrels as I've ever seen Sevy catch in his career. Um, that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know if it's an injury issue or what it is, He's denied that being an injury problem. He says it's tipping. I really hope it is, but tipping also doesn't fully negate having issues with your velocity dip. So I don't know. I need to see more out of him this upcoming start. I think yeah, it really it really concerned me. Um because that it seems like a mechanical thing where when you're throwing that much slower, that's the difference in location. If you don't, if you think you're throwing harder and you're used to throwing harder and aiming at a spot, you're going to miss it low if you're throwing slower. Like yeah. that is something that is mechanical. Um, and I know he had, a, he had an injury back and forth. Was, was it with Boone in uh, in the Padre series where, where Boone went out? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he threw like a ball to the backstop. Um, a little bit concerned given that too. And he ended up finishing that inning. Yeah, he's very hard-nosed. Um, he's always kind of been like that rough around the edges character where he just wants to stay on the mound and like do his thing, which like I respect that out of him. But also, who knows how transparent he is when it comes to telling his coaching staff how he's feeling. Um, I do remember that pitch. Like he, he just straight up airmailed one, kind of was on his knees for a second. And you could easily chalk that up to being like, oh, he's just contemplating why did I throw that pitch so poorly? Why didn't I follow through? Like the ball could have just slipped out of his hand early or it could have been that lad acting up again. You know, like there, he has so many prior injuries to worry about and just to keep in the back of your mind that it kind of, 
I try to stay ignorant with it, honestly, because I otherwise I just get myself too worried, which is not a way that you want to feel about one of your aces in the first place. Um, and then I guess leading into the whole conversation with Cole. Well, can I circle back to Clark real quick? Yeah, go for it. So, I mean, Clark was awesome. Uh, I mean, he's had the best starting pitcher ERA over the last stretch, uh, 215 ERA, uh, which is really impressive. The The thing with Clark that I am both impressed and concerned by, um, his FIP was a 415. That's a two-run difference over that same stretch that we're looking at of four games started. Um, and part of that is because he's given up by far the most hits of any Yankees pitcher. Um, Garrett Cole has a 4-5 ERA over that stretch, giving up eight hits. Clark has given up 14 hits. One more start, granted, but still um, two home runs. It seems like he's always in trouble. And you go through a Clark start, and it's like, oh, looking back, that was a pretty good like two runs, six innings. Um, but three of the, three of the innings, you know, he had runners in scoring position. Um, if and runs didn't score, let alone the innings where he gives up runs. So he he's looked better. He's been able to fight through his his stuff plays like his strikeouts are there. He he has more strikeouts this year than Lucas Giolito. Um, yeah, that that was a stat that came up on on the board yesterday, uh, which was super interesting. So yeah, I agree with you that he solidified that fifth spot for now, especially where we're at with our pitching injuries. Um, but I think it's something to keep an eye on that. The projected stats uh, for whatever they're worth in this small sample, aren't looking at him that favorably because he's still giving up base runners. They're just not scoring. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he's just never been that really like dominant pitcher. Like his good outings are still not dominant. And there's like a difference between the two. Yeah. Like you never feel like the, other team is fully out of it with him. Like you're kind of holding your breath the entire time. Um, I guess that's where I lead into Cole a little bit. Um, it feels like earlier this month or like last month, he was uh, having issues with just what he had issues with last year, which was leaving pitches over the middle of the plate and getting hit for home runs. He went how many starts without giving a home run. And then he went on an onslaught of just, giving up long balls constantly is what it felt like. That's and that's where most true. of his runs are coming from. It's not like he's getting hit a ton necessarily, but when he is getting hit, they're typically leaving the park. Um, So that's definitely concerning, but it's not something that I'm like concerned about with his health or his long-term health or if he can turn it around or not. Like he, I think he's adaptable enough at this point to make it work and get back to form. And he did have a good start his last time out against LA. Um, So I'm not all that concerned, but at the same time, it's like you're our ace. You need to do a little bit better than that. Yeah, it is. Um, it's an interesting two months with Cole. I mean, we were looking super happy at everything that he was doing um, in the month of April. And now it's kind of just been average. Um, he still fights. He's been grinding, but he's grinding a lot more than we would want him to, uh, if, if we're being honest. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, we want to see that number one dominance because I think we've lost that. You know, Nestor has just not been good, um, and it, it's been it's been really damaging. Uh, having Cole get hit, giving up home runs at, at a much higher rate out of nowhere. Um, let me look at the home run numbers real quick. Uh, home runs per nine, still not too bad. Well, relative, not great. Um, one point seven home runs per nine in his last three starts. Uh, which is that that's two home runs a game. And that's yeah. just the difference of, you know, a seven in one a seven inning one run outing to a six inning three, four run outing. Um, mm-hmm. which is what we seem to be getting from Cole these days. But the offense has been picking it up. Um but that's that's my I know this is a much more negative podcast than I anticipated given the recent Yankees run, but I think there's a lot of things that lead to the Yankees not being as good as as they've been. Um but we're sitting here in third place and we're sixth in the AL and we're comfortably in a playoff spot right now. Um, but I, I think we need Cole to come back a bit um, to, to, to get us rolling up the division. Can we catch Tampa? I think so, but we're, we're going to have to be playing on similar runs than, than what we've gone on the last month. Yeah. Also have to give credit to Domingo for being as solid as he's been uh, the last few starts, like since he's gotten back from the uh, suspension list, 
um, that start against the Dodgers was amazing. I mean, he yeah. was missing barrels constantly. His curveball, like it's one of those things where if you like look at the body of work within that game, the amount of pitchers that he just, or the amount of like elite hitters that he just completely owned for the most part, like Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, like had no shot against him. And very few pitchers can say that they have that, those guys numbers. You know what I mean? Like he, he was so dominant that it looked like they were going to be out of each of those ABs in like four to five pitches. And they had no shot at actually squaring something up. Um, He did leave that slider over the plate to JD. That was his one big mistake, but the Yankees picked him up with their offense again. Uh, So that was nice to see, but yeah, we're going to have to see Rodon back sooner than later because Garrett Cole needs help at the top. Um, I don't know if the whole Nestor effect issue is like him kind of being exposed for not going six, like seven to eight innings last year a lot. You know, like I feel like last season he was having six or five or six really good outings per or five or six really good innings per outing rather than actually just like going the distance. And this year they were like, well, let's see if we can stretch you out a little bit more. And that third time through the lineup now, teams are just kind of figuring him out and he's also getting fatigued on top of that. So it's just a recipe for disaster. Um, but yeah, they definitely need more reinforcements coming in because you can't fully depend on him anymore. In a third time through the order this year, and I actually just brought up that stat to compare Nestor and Domingo um, and give Domingo some props. Nestor has gone nine innings worth of third time through the order, uh, an opponent batting average of 450. Um, home runs per nine at 6.8 home runs per nine. So Nestor just getting that depth um, yeah. and giving up bombs. And he's striking out hitters there. It's only been nine innings, but still, like we've seen that. And that kind of matches the eye test where like Nestor goes five strong. And you're like, oh, Nestor's looking good. And he's at 70, 75 pitches. And Nestor Cortez is a guy who you're looking to give you 85 to 100 pitches. That's... Mm-hmm that's the credit that he's built up with the Yankees over the past two years. And he's a solidified starting pitcher. But if you look at the guy who's really been that number two to give length, I mean, Garrett Cole has gone 20 innings against the third time through the order, which is going to be the highest amongst the highest, if not the highest in baseball, Domingo Herman. And and part of this is a skewed sample because Domingo doesn't have that credit. So like when Domingo's off his game, he gets hooked after five, he doesn't go the third time through. And when he's good, he's gotten that leash. This year, when he's gotten that leash, he's been productive. He's on 12.2 innings against the third time through, opponent batting average of 196, a whip of 0.95. He has a strikeout percentage of 24% against these guys and only two home runs given up. It's really good. (laughs) It's really, really, really good. So Domingo is the guy who's been giving that length, and it kind of comes unpredictably, it seems like, where we get a Domingo start that's like, whoa. Where did that come from? You know, like that was um, when he went eight in the third, no hit, or I think it was perfect for a while, right? Yeah. Um, it was when this last start against the Dodgers are obviously giving that um, big time through, but but shout out to Nestor. Um, but you look at, uh, sorry, shout out to Domingo for that, but you look at Nestor, uh, you look at Clark even, um, you get to the third time through, it's a noticeable drop off, which is every pitcher in baseball. Um, but uh, Nestor, it's been a lot more than a top end pitcher that that you need to the point where he can't like we have to hook him after four and two thirds if he's facing a third time through, which yeah. which is just something that's really detrimental to the bullpen, um, which has been solid. But Domingo, you know, we got on him for screwing the Yankees over, uh, screwing over the bullpen. I mean, on on the back end when he's throwing and when he's not suspended, he's been saving the bullpen. So I got to give him his props there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we got to get into the bullpen just real quick and talk about how effective they have all been. Um, best bullpen ERA in the league. Yep. Really cool to see that. Um, Clay Holmes looks like Clay Holmes again, like the good Clay Holmes too. Uh, he's getting the proper depth on his two-seamer. His sinker is sinking hard. He's missing barrels. I think he was probably the best reliever in all of baseball maybe for the last month or so, which is crazy to say. But he's on a tear. Um Tommy Canley made his return as well. His changeup looks great. I love that pitch. I love him. Um, it's also just nice to have him back with the team and fully operational again. Um, Mike King is still one of the best to do it. 
speed looks fantastic. Probably the most versatile pitcher that they have in the bullpen right now. And honestly, the most important piece um, just because he's kind of like the glue guy out there. Um, no signs of his injury from last season, like weighing him down at all. Wandy's been Wandy. He's had like maybe a few miscues for the like here and there, but like for the most part, he's been nails. Uh, Ron, I'm a little concerned about. I think that he's had a few outings now where he's been hit up quite a bit. Um, so that's something to maybe look into a little bit more later on. But yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. He's still very young, so we have to keep that in mind. But for the most part, this bullpen has been stellar. Clay Holmes last 30 days, 13 games, which is a high usage rate, 0.68 ERA, 18 strikeouts, and an opponent batting average of 167. Ron Marinaccio, 12 games, uh, 54 total bases given up, a 7 ERA. So Yeah, not good. It, it, it aligns with what you just said there. Um, but the Yankees, I mean, between Cordero, Albert Abreu even, Clay Holmes, uh, Wandy has been down a bit. They've been putting together really awesome performances um, and have been the backbone of this Yankees win streak for a little while. Um, we have one minute left on the Zoom. Can we get uh, yeah. a Yankees heartbeat for these past two weeks? IKF. Ooh, that's a good pick. Yeah, I think there's like a few different ways that you can go, but IKF is the guy right now. He's uh, carrying this offense. He is their, just their captain for the time being as uh, judges out. I think he's going to man the ship really well. Yep, and we gave him this props before and those stats, and he's on a sick redemption arc. Um, judge is probably the right statistical answer. Uh, I'm going to go Clark Schmidt. I think he's been he's been real good. He's been giving gutsy performances. He gave another one last night, uh, even in a losing effort. And I think it's been a big boost uh, for for the Yankees of recent. All right, but that is it for us. Uh, follow us at Pinstripe Pulse Pod on Instagram and on TikTok at Pinstripe underscore Pulse on Twitter. Um, we're gonna be coming with some more updates and some more episodes um, than we've been doing recently in the, in the past two weeks. Uh, who knows when the Yankees are going to play again? Hopefully it's tomorrow. Um, but I hope you enjoy this listening in lieu uh, of them having a game tonight. Uh, we got a nice stretch coming up here uh, in the next few weeks. We've got Red Sox this weekend. We got Mets and then we got Red Sox again. So it's going to be a very interesting two weeks, a bunch of off days. We'll be getting you more updates on those rivalry series. Um, and yeah, Jake, any last words? Um, stay safe with all the fog and smoking all that fun stuff in the air. Um, but yeah, let's, let's hope for a nice two out of three against them. I guess if we play the white Sox, <laughs> um, two nice sweep tomorrow. Uh, we'll see. Let's go. Yanks. Thanks for joining us. Everyone again, uh, share with friends, like subscribe, do all of it. Uh, it really helps us out if you can. And let's go. Yankees. Peace. Yeah.